like Tony said, it's a beautiful day out there. Like Tony so kindly pointed out, my forehead has seen a little bit of sun, but that's all we're going to say about that for the rest of the day, so moving on. Um, Starting out this morning, I want to do a little uh, kind of game or activity with you guys that we kind of do sometimes at youth group, so um, I want to liven you guys up a little bit, get the blood pumping through your bodies. Everybody grab a Bible, an actual Bible. No cheating with your phone or something. Grab a Bible real quick, and we're going to play a little game, okay? I'm going to uh, I'm gonna point out a scripture, and once I tell you what that scripture is, I want you to flip through it as fast as you can, and I want you to find the scripture that I'm talking about, all right? Everyone got a Bible? All right. Everyone got a Bible? Okay, so... Um, all right, all right. I want you guys to find the scripture where Jesus tells us that everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies and we're never going to struggle and everything's going to be all right. Go. Exactly. I'll save you some time, guys. It, it's not in there. The fact of the matter is, is this life we live here on earth, this life that we walk through every day, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be pain. There's going to be things we go through that make us question life and where we're at and what's going on. The point I really want us to key in on this morning, the thing I really want us to ponder in our hearts is, how do we respond to God in those times? Really think about that for a minute. When you're facing these trials, when, when you're struggling, and you have cutbacks, all of a sudden you're out of work. All of a sudden cancer strikes. You lose a loved one. Turns out that guy it really is the dirtbag that all your friends were telling you he was. Their relationship's over. In those moments when, when someone says something that you don't like, something that strikes a chord with you, how do you react in those times? Do we run to God? Do we run from God? Um, some, of, some of the responses that uh, I've experienced and I've said and I've heard said um, are things like, why me, God? Does that one sound familiar? Um, how about, God, what did I do to deserve this? That one sound familiar? Or, you know, how much longer do I have to suffer? Those are all common responses that happen at time. But those responses, the problem with those responses is those responses are I, 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 me, me, me. And, you know, I, I love you guys, and that's the reason I want to tell you guys, and I can say that it's not about you. It's not about me. We tend to take ourselves and we tend to put ourselves on a pedestal and make a, a, ourselves the forefront of we don't realize that through all of this, through all of the struggle, through all, everything that's going on in our lives, God has a plan. He has a plan during all of it. And our, our, for lack of a better word, our feeble minds will never understand the big picture plan that God has in our lives because we live in the here and in the now. We tend to focus on the things that are right in front of us. We tend to focus on the things that are at the forefront of our lives. And when we do that, when we're sitting here looking in the here and now and the things that are going on in our lives, we tend to um, become blind 
to the bigger picture. Come blind to what God has going on. Um, Let's put it this way. If you think that the intelligent designer of the universe that created the stars and the heavens and, and the ecosystem and our bodies and our organs and our cells and our DNA and everything about us so intricately woven together to, to make us breathe and live, to make it so that um, thousands of years down the road when someone invents a medication, it can come into our body just right to help us battle an ailment. If you think the designer of all that somehow dropped the ball when it came to your personal lives, sorry, but you guys are tripping. Like, it, it don't work like that. God has a plan, and he has a plan, and sometimes that plan involves chaos. I want to start out this morning, and I want to tell you about a couple lives that, that experienced a lot of chaos. But first, please join me. Let's pray. Father God, we come to before you right now, Lord, and we invite your Holy Spirit into our lives and into our building, into this place, Lord. As we dive in and look at your word and look at what we can learn to, from your word and apply it to our lives, Lord, I ask you to, to take the message... Take this message and use me as a vessel to convey in a way that everybody here leaves with a hunger and a thirst to want more of Jesus, to want to know you better, to want to create relationship, not a, not a, a fundamental um, theory, to know that you're a person and you're alive and you're breathing and you love us and you want to walk in relationship with us. And through that transformation, through that change of our heart, Holy Spirit, give us courage to go out into our lives, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into, into our families. And when they ask, how could we be so happy in the midst of so much pain and chaos, let us point to you. Let us point to the fact that you loved us so much that you came to this world and you died for us. Help us be courageous. Help us be bold. Help us be better representatives of you in our lives. Jesus, it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So I said I wanted to tell you about a couple stories of people. Um, so there's this uh, kid, and he's the oldest of three siblings. He was born to a mother who had him at the age of 17, okay? When she had her first child at 17, she wasn't ready to be an adult yet. And that's exactly what she did is keep living the life of a young, rambunctious teenager. And, and through the next few years, there was two siblings born, two younger siblings were born. And when it came time that these siblings needed to be cared for, this young gentleman was about 12 years old. And so due to the fact that his mom didn't want to grow up yet at this time, he was forced to grow up really early. He was forced to stay home while there was long nights at the bar or house parties with friends coming over. And he was, at 12 years old, um, shoved into the task of taking care, making sure that the two younger siblings were fed and, and got adequate rest, sometimes even shipped off to school in the morning. And I think this... Um, thrust of having to grow up at such a young age, later on in life when it was time to him, for him to grow up, he wanted to experience life that he had missed out on. That life led to a lot of experimenting with different um, substances, different uh, actions, different morals that led to a life of um, drugs and crime and trouble and struggles. And 
There was a whole lot of chaos in all of that. Um, the other person I wanted to tell you about was a young lady. And, and at a young age, this, this young lady started acting out maybe um, as young as kindergarten, getting in trouble in school, um, not, uh, not obeying her, um, her parent, uh, just a lot of trouble. And some of that trouble ended up in um, different foster care homes, um, different bouncing around, back home, back gone again. And later on in this life, uh, this young lady, she, she ended up in a relationship where it probably wasn't the most healthy relationship. Um, she ended up with a person that I think cared more about money and the lifestyle that that person was living than her as a person. And through all the course of this, um, she became pregnant. And, you know, and then another, another human was brought into the world. And this, this, little, this little human was brought into the world that deserved to have uh, a loving mother and a loving father and someone to care for her all the time. And um, it didn't happen because, you know, the, the one person in the relationship cared more about um, his lifestyle and ended up gone in prison, never really seeing her. And through all of this chaos, all of these things happening, God had a plan. God had a plan through all of this, and it wasn't all for, all for nothing. It wasn't all for no avail. It was through these times and these situations that he was shaping the character of these two people. He was refining them as they were in the fire so that later on, when their lives crossed paths, they were able to come together in a better place in their lives. They, were a, a, they came together at a point where Jesus was the center of both of their lives, and it created a perfect harmony of a relationship, two people coming together with God at the head of the family, and it put them in a position to where the little girl in the relationship, she got the father she deserved, although at times he still screws up, and it, it prepared these two people for what God had planned next for them. A little baby boy. And if you guys haven't gathered from the story yet, I'm talking about me and Maria. You know, we've been through a lot. We've been through all this chaotic lives, but God was shaping us through all of this. He was, he was bringing our path together so that when um, it was said in time for us to uh, come and step up and be um, a part of leading this church, he had refined us through things that we had went through. He had drawn us closer to him so that, you know, that, all of those other things that we've ever satisfied our hunger and our thirst with, all of those things, they taste like onions now. <laughs> I hate onions, so that's a term I'm going to use. But so there, there are all of these things now that we used to hunger and thirst for, and they're disgusting. We have no hunger for those things. We hunger for Christ. We hunger for his love. We hunger for our family being centered around him and us being a part of this church family. Um, a little random side note, uh, as, as we found out we were having a little boy and we were wanting to, to pick a name for our boy, and we're like, man, God gave us this gift, and we want the name to be something like from the Bible or something that, that means something to us. And as I was reading all the book of Acts, I am so glad we didn't pick a name from Acts, like Festus and... <laughs> All the names that Nick had to use last week, like, good thing we, we steered back to Isaac, which is, you know, a child of laughter. Um, but 
So today, what I want us to do is we're going to dive back. We're going to go on a little rewind um, time travel back into Acts. We've been in it for a long time now, and we've had a lot of different messages. But I want us to take a look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And um, I want us to look at the hand he was dealt. When we, when we think of Apostle Paul and we think of him um, starting more churches than anyone, spreading the gospel for, to the ends of the earth, going from country to country, we look at him and we marvel like, man, he did great things, which he did. But it wasn't an easy path. So if you guys want to jump back and want to follow with me, I think we, we'll have him up here too. But we're going to be starting off in Acts chapter 9 will be the first part we, we visit. Acts chapter 9, the first little section we're going to read is going to be um, verses 23 through 25. It said, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in the basket. So this is like right after his conversion, right after his encounter with Jesus, when he's like, you know what? I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He, you know, I had this encounter. I, I, I'm going to venture off in this new life of Christianity. First thing he runs into right after that, there's people plotting to kill him already. If we keep going right below that, 26 through 30. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in, at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and shipped him off to Tarsus. So right after that, Right after he's already encounter, encountering a plot to kill him, he's like, you know what? I need to get around some other Christians. I need to get around the disciples. And he goes to them, and he faces rejection. It's due to his past, due to his past of persecuting Christians, due to his past of um, being such a, a vicious man towards Christian. I'm sure the stoning of Stephen was still at the forefront of their minds, and they were scared. But he was reaching out. He was crying out to be accepted, and, and he received rejection. And then through that, he kept going and then learned of another plot on his life. We're going to fast forward to chapter 14. Chapter 14, we're going to go 1 through 7. Now Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up, in the stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of, the, of his grace. 
granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people in the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, the cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So here we have him again. We have Paul going out and meeting um, some acceptance, some strife, some rejection. And then there, all of a sudden when, when he's out sharing the gospel and he thinks he's spreading the word of Jesus and he, and he knows he's doing what he's called to do, he's hearing rumblings. He's hearing rumblings from the neighborhoods, from the town. These people are planning to hurt him and mistreat him. This is very early on in his walk after his, his encounter with Jesus. If we jump down, same chapter, verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconian, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. So it, it's one thing to go from hearing these rumblings, hearing that people are planning to cause you mistreatment to getting hit with a bunch of rocks. I, I picture stoning being the brutal act that it is, but I picture it on a, a little bit of a deeper level. So demeaning. I'm sure it didn't happen quick when people were stoned to death. And I'm sure each time one of those rocks hit you, it came along with an insult. And I'm sure those insults reached the ears and the brain just as much as the rocks reached the body. Loser, freak, whatever it is that they were calling out to him, it was a de very disturbing act. Chapter 15 will be 36 through 39. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and who had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So now we're seeing it. Not just from outsiders. Now we're seeing some conflict from his compadre, from his bro, from his travel partner. The person that he's been traveling with, sharing the gospel. They come to a disagreement. And I'm sure in the journeys, in the travels they were going, there was a lot of times where it was just them. Desolate lands, seas, in the travels. In those times you become close with somebody. You, you create an intimate relationship. I'm sure it hurt when they parted ways and went their own. Acts chapter 16, 16 through 24. And it was we were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and was crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who Proclaim to you the way to, of salvation, and this she kept doing for many days. 
And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned to the spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out at the very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments from them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to have them kept safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. That one's, that one's pretty self-explanatory. He's seen this girl suffering. He's seen this girl possessed by a demon spirit, and he did her a favor, and he cast her out. And what did he get in return? Beaten? Mistreated again, thrown into prison. Acts chapter 19, 8 through 10. Starting in 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But once some became stubborn, and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, and all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Through all the stuff that we've talked about, he's, he's continuing his work. He's continuing faithfully to move on and continue to share the gospel because he had a, an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed him. He had an encounter of love with Jesus, and all he wants to do is tell people about that encounter. And as he does, and he's here, this time they're not bashing him. They're bashing Christ that he fell in love with. The word it uses here is speaking evil of the way. I'm sure that hurt him deep down inside. This, this encounter that changed his life, People are bashing on that. They're bashing on the person. They're bashing on the way. They're bashing on the love of Christ. Acts 21, 27 through 33. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law, in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Tromephus, that I didn't name my son after, <laughs> the Ephesian, with, the city, with him in the city. And they supported that Paul had brought him in to the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together and they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And once the gates were shut and as they were seeking to kill him, Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took the soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He's been through all these things we've talked about. He just dealt with people bashing on the way, bashing on Jesus. He goes to the temple to worship and share the gospel. 
He's thrown out of his place of worship. No sooner than he lands on the ground outside is he being beaten again. And finally, someone runs in and stops the beating. Sounds like good news. Someone runs in, stops the beating, only to place him in cuffs. Not one set of chains, but two. And they drag him off to prison again. Acts 24, verses 22 and 23. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysus the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty. None of his friends should be prevented from attending his needs. So this is right after Paul states his case to Felix. He states his case, and he's defending himself, and it was what Nick was going over last week, and he defends his case, and I think he feels like he defended his case uh, very good, and he sees a little bit of hope. He sees a little bit of future, and this guy says, we'll figure this out a little later. Let's just place the guy on house arrest. And during this time, he was free, but he wasn't free. It was about two years he was kept here on house arrest. There's been a lot of chaos. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of physical attacks, a lot of torture. Paul could have a lot to say about what he's been through. In fact, many of us have been through a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of um, torture. And many of us could have a lot to say about what we've been through and where we're at. And there could be very easily, I could have stood up here and I could have shared the story of my life and Maria's life and karma. And I could have shared it from a place of anger, ungrateful contempt. Those testimonies could sound a lot different if we were just to go on the facts of what we want and what our hearts think we need and put us at the center of that story. We put us at the center of that story and it'd sound a lot different. Had Paul put himself at the center of that story, his testimony could sound a lot different. It could sound like, you know what? I had an encounter with Jesus and right after that I started traveling and the Jews started to plot to kill me. And then I went to reach out to some of the disciples, some of the people, and they rejected me. And then I came along to another area, and the unbelieving Jews were stirring up strife. They were stirring up mistreatment, and they were planning to hurt me. He could have said, you know what, and right after that, when I thought I was clear of that, I was stoned, and I was drugged out of the city, and I was beaten, and I was left for dead. What did I do to deserve this? And then my one friend that I was traveling with, we get in a disagreement and we can't even see eye to eye and we split and we part ways. I continue telling about people about Jesus that I love and they start to bash on the way. I don't even know why I'm doing this anymore. I don't even know if it's all worth it. Next thing I know, I'm kicked out of the temple and not only am I kicked out, but I'm beaten and I'm drugged off and I'm chained in the prison. Why try? Why go through all of this? You know, I go and I state my case and I tell the people and I, I, I defend myself and I prove to them that I've done nothing wrong. And just when I think I see the light of day, no, back on house arrest, 
for another two years, his story could sound a lot different. But today I just want to key on what his story really looked like. After facing all of these trials, after facing all of these circumstances, all of these situations, had he been telling his story about him, it would have sounded a lot different than the story he told. We're going to be in Acts 26, starting in chapter 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, and that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And we had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise. And stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness and the light and the power of Satan and to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And Paul tells Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly wisdom, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both small and great saying nothing but what the prophets of Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer. By being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, and for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all those who hear me this day might become such as I am, except these chains. Paul's testimony wasn't placing him at the center of it. He tells of his encounter, but his encounter with Jesus. In seeing all the things he went through, all the struggle, all the strife, all of the heartache and and physical pain and anguish, everything he faced could be real easy to have a real different heart. Have a heart towards the people that were doing that to him. Have a heart towards people that challenged his beliefs. But we see his heart. 
whether long or short, I would to God that not only you, but also all those who hear me this day might become such as I am. We all have a story. We all have a testimony. We all have experiences, things we've went through. If we take those experiences and those things we've went through in life and we place us at the beginning of it and we tell our story, had I told our story saying that, you know what, it wasn't fair that I was forced to grow up at 12 years old and it wasn't fair that I became addicted to drugs and God didn't love me through all of that and it was just a bunch of crap that I went through that I didn't deserve. Do you think that story shared like that is going to draw anybody closer to the love of Christ? Rather yet, the way that I shared that, you know, I've been through some things that weren't pleasant. That God was refining me and growing me in those things. And I'm at a place in my life where I'm so grateful and struggle still happens and things still come along. But I don't have to rest in me in that. I rest in the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Made me whole again. Tore the veil that I could be at one with the Father again. When I share in that way, I think it stands a lot better chance to draw people closer to God. As I was trying to come up with uh, something I wanted to close with, I was back and forth and back and forth. And as I was studying for this week's sermon, I was studying and a lot of the time I'm studying, I'm listening to worship music and a song came on, and it really struck a chord with what, I, what, what God was revealing to me uh, through this study. And so as I'm trying to figure out my fancy way of conveying how that song hit me and why I, how I could share it with you guys, I finally said, duh, bro, just get out of the way. Just share a few of the lyrics with them that impacted you. This is from the song Highlands, Song of Ascent by Hillsong United. It says, because in the highlands and the heartache, you're neither more or less inclined. I would search and stop at nothing. You're just not that hard to find. Oh, so I will praise you in the mountain, and I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. You're in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the light leads me astray. Because you're the heavens where my heart is, in the highlands, in the heartache, all the same. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for being there always. Thank you for creating a love in our hearts. That is true that is genuine. Work in us, grow us, and shape us to appreciate your love, not when just on the mountains, but when we're in the valleys. Give us the strength to become vulnerable enough to lean on you in the struggle, to cry out for you. Father God, continue shaping us, informing us. Continue growing us so that we can be the image of your son to those around you, around us. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We can never tell you how grateful we truly are.
Jesus. We owe it all to you. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen.